just say uh, to you dads out there, happy Father's Day. Let's give it up for the fathers, okay? That is just awesome. And fortunately, uh, if you are here and not a dad or a, a father, in other words, you're a woman here, okay? You got a cookie too, okay? Because us dads are always thinking of others, okay? And it is a chocolate chip cookie from Paradise. I know Hunter, the manager there, and Terry, the assistant manager, and they were elated when I had my admin call them and say, hey, can you make us 900 of chocolate chip cookies for our dads and the women of our church? And so they were obviously elated about that. Obviously, too, they had to work late last night to get them all done on time. But anyway, uh, it's just my special gift to you. And, and please don't eat the chocolate chip cookie until I illustrate how to make a chocolate chip cookie, okay? Now, before we jump into this message, I think we're all aware of the fact that that past this past Sunday, uh, by the time we got back from church last Sunday, that we were informed of the, the tragedy down in Orlando. And I thought we as a spiritual family, because we're going through this series called The Tunnel of Chaos, that we know that the first thing that one does when a loss or a crisis hits is that we are to cry out to God. And so I'm going to ask us to stand right now, and we're going to listen to some bells that represent each life that was lost down there. And as we stand, I would ask that you would just pray for the victims down there, that you would pray for that community, that you would pray for our nation, okay? And when the, the bells are done, I'm going to close this with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into the message. So let's get started.
Lord, with every bell that tolls represents a life that was lost. And God, we would ask that you would bring comfort to those families who lost loved ones down there. We pray, God, that you would bring encouragement and strength into their souls. Lord, we would pray for the community, Orlando, and we pray for our nation as well, that you would help us to be a nation that is defined not by hatred, but rather by love, that our hearts might be filled with your love for the world that we live in, that we might walk side by side with, with those who, who uh, are suffering uh, a loss during this time and suffer loss at any time, really, God. We look to you to do that because we want to be the people that you have called us to be, to be your representatives in a world that desperately needs to understand who you are and the purposes that you have for their life. And so, God, we give you this time and we ask you to do what only you can do in those, those ones who have lost their lives, their families, that community, and our nation. We give you this in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. We've been in a series, like Belinda said, called the Tunnel of Chaos, and we've taken a look really at four phases out of six. We, we've taken a look that when a crisis hits, what happens is that your worldview turns upside down and you're really your whole body goes numb. It goes into shock. As you begin to thaw out of that, your heart begins to feel again, and it begins to break, and it's filled with sorrow and sadness and grief. From there, our minds begin to be engaged. And as they do, we are filled with anger because there are questions that go unanswered. In particularly, the why questions. And we looked at how to deal with that. Last week, we took a look at submitting your will, which really was the halfway point. And when you and I submit our will, that's when we begin to feel peace within. Today, we're going to take a look at your character change. And the feelings and the emotions that are built around this are struggle. Now what we need to understand that no matter what tunnel of chaos you may be going through, God's number one purpose after you have come to know Jesus is to make you like him. God wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to be like his son. And when you and I understand this, every tunnel of chaos that we go through, I don't care what it is, will make more sense to you. Let me read a few verses here. In Romans 8, 28. From the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his son. Will you circle like his son? Ephesians 4, 15. God wants us to grow up like Christ. Will you circle that in everything? Notice that the original purpose of creating man was Simply that, uh, Colossians 1.15, we look at the Son and see God's original purpose in everything created. When God decided to make man, he said, let us make man in our image. And God has been about doing that from the beginning of time. God wants you to be like him. You will never become a God. You won't even become a little God. But God wants you to become like him. In our culture, we have a saying like father, like son. 
When I had people come up to me and say, you know what, David is just like you, Pastor George, though he would deny it. He would say that he is the son of Cheryl, not the son of George. But when I hear that, okay, it just pleases me. And in the very same way, it pleases God when you and I become like him. Now, when we talk about being made in the image of Christ, God forming himself in us, what we are talking about is character. God wants our character to become like Christ, which raises this question. What does that mean? What does that look like to have the character of Christ in our life? Well, it's described in the Bible as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. The the fruit of the Spirit is a perfect picture of Jesus Christ, and it is a perfect picture of what God wants you to become. The question is this, how does God do that? Well, there is a theological term called sanctification. If you go through the Bible, there are three types of sanctification, past, present, and future, or positional, experiential, or ultimate. Positional is once you receive Christ, God places you in Christ, and, you, and when God looks at you, he, he's looking at Christ positionally. Experientially, though, God produces and forges Christ within us through through experiences. And then the ultimate sanctification is when we enter into heaven. Because the Bible says when when that happens, we're going to see Christ and become like him. But that word sanctification is just a big word that means to become like Jesus. Now I want you to listen to me very carefully here. The way that God produces the fruit of the Spirit in your life is by putting you in the exact opposite situations. For instance, love. How does God teach you to love? You see, it's easy to love the lovely, isn't it? It's easy to love people who are like you. It's easy to to love when people like you back. But if God's going to teach you what real love is about, he's going to have to put you around people that are hard to love. That's how you learn to love. Anybody can love the lovely who love them back, but the Bible has called us to love our enemies. How about joy? How does God produce joy in your life? By putting you in times of sadness. You see, joy is an inside thing. Happiness is an external thing. Joy is internal. And how God produces joy in your life is by bringing times of sadness your way. How does God produce peace? He puts you in times of stress and conflict. Folks, it's easy to have peace when everything is going your way. But to become a man of peace, God has to put you in times of chaos. How about patience? Where do we learn patience? By being forced to wait. By being forced to wait in lines. By being forced to wait on answered prayer. By being forced to wait as we go through a tunnel of chaos and God forge, and in so doing, God's forging our character. 
You see, as those things happen, God is producing Jesus within you. I can remember a time when I realized early on in my walk with Jesus, we were going through 1 Corinthians 13, and the first attribute of love is patience. And I just prayed, oh God, help me be more patient, thinking that God would take away my problems in order to help me be that way. And at prayer, it got worse. And so I prayed, God, give me more patience. And things got worse still. And I prayed again, God, give me more patience. And things got worse still. After I went through that tunnel of chaos, guess what I realized? I now was more patient than I was before. And I also realized that you don't have to ask God for patience, okay? He's going give, to give, test you in that, whether you want it or not, because you're one of his kids. Now, God uses four things to make you like Jesus, to sanctify your life. Will you write these down? God uses his Holy Spirit. Folks, it's the spirit of the living God inside of you that produces the fruit of the spirit. And the Bible says that the more you allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life, the more Christ is formed in you. That's the first way. The second way that, that Christ is formed in you is through the word of God. When you let truth into your mind, that truth transforms you. The more, tr the more you know of God's word, the more you become like Jesus. In John 17, Jesus said this, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. The third thing that, that God uses to make you like him is that God uses other people. People give you support. People challenge you. People teach you. People encourage you. And so God uses people to make you like Jesus. But there is a fourth. The fourth way that God uses to make us like himself, and this is what I want to talk about today, is that God uses problems. He uses pressures. He uses pain. He uses suffering. He uses losses. He uses the tunnel of chaos to form Christ within us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 8 through 18, Paul, the apostle, shares his ministry experiences about God using them to validate his ministry. You see, back then, people would look at someone who had all these kinds of problems Surely God isn't with that person. And yet Paul says, no, just the opposite. It's taking God in me and working through me to get through these different situations. Let's read this. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. And then a little later, he says this, through suffering, these bodies of ours constantly share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in us. And then Paul summarizes this passage on suffering in verse 16 where he says this, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. 
So we don't look at the troubles we can see right now. Rather, we look forward to what we have not yet seen. For the troubles we see will soon be over, but the joys to come will last forever. You see, what does this passage of Scripture say to us who are in a tunnel of chaos? Simply this, will you write this down? That every problem has a purpose. That every trouble transforms. Folks, there is a reason for every problem and trouble and trial and tribulation that you go through. And other people may have brought them on you to bring harm into your life, but God wants to use it for good in your life. This is shocking. Because some people, would th- some people think that after you've given your life to Christ that you shouldn't have any more problems. And there's many times I've talked with God about that. I said, God, why is this so hard? I mean, I'm one of your kids. Can't you make it easier? But that isn't what Jesus said. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations. Peter said, hey, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that's going to come, a- uh, come upon you. As long as you and I are on this earth, you and I can expect tunnels of chaos. Why? Because this is in heaven. In heaven, God's will is done perfectly. On earth, it's rarely done. And there are a lot of things that happen on earth that aren't God's will. That is why the Bible says God hates evil. He hated what went on in Orlando. God hates suffering. He doesn't like to see people suffer the way those people have suffered down there and the, and the way our nation has suffered as a result of it. The Bible says that God weeps when you and I are suffering. I'll never forget a time. It was probably about six years ago, and this family had just joined the church, and was pregnant. a few months later, she, she had their first son. And then three months after that, I get a phone call and came to the house. The child had died of SIDS. And while I saw that family just broken over the loss of their child, I too was broken. And I will not forget them saying, Pastor George, where was my sight? And as my heart was breaking, I said, the same place when his son died. He was there. But here's the deal. Even out of brokenness, God can bring good. You see, anybody can bring good out of good. But God specializes in bringing good out of bad. God specializes in turning crucifixions into resurrections. Folks, I don't know what kind of tunnel of chaos that you are going through right now, but I can tell you this. As you go through it, you are not going through it alone. Psalms 34, verse 18 says, God is close to the brokenhearted, and he rescues those who are crushed in spirit. When you are going through a tunnel of chaos, God is with you. He is grieving with you. He is weeping with you. For you, He is with you as much as it is possible on this side of eternity. And what he wants to do is use it for good. I mean, think about this. Could God have kept Joseph out of jail? Sure he could have. 
Could God have kept Daniel out of jail? Sure he could. Could God have kept his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, out of the fiery furnace? Absolutely. Could God have kept Paul from being shipwrecked? Uh-huh. Could he kept his son from dying on a cross? Absolutely. But he didn't do any of those things. Why? Because God had a greater plan. You see, when you and I are going through a tunnel of chaos, and particularly at this fifth stage where he is forging our character and helping us to become more like Christ, you and I need at that point in time is we need an anchor to our soul. We need a promise from God. One of my favorite promises is Romans 8, 28. It is one of the most misunderstood and misused verses in the Bible. And what I want to do is I want to take this thing apart for us. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of God and are called according to his purpose. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. First, I want you to circle the phrase, we know. We don't guess, we don't hope, we don't say it's a possibility, this might happen. It says, we know, we know for sure. This is what gives you and I confidence when we are in a tunnel of chaos. To continue on. We know it's a fact. Will you circle the phrase that God causes? We know what? We know that God causes. In other words, there is a grand design behind everything. Every problem has a purpose. Every trouble transformed. God has a design behind everything everything your life isn't an accident there may be accidental parents but there is no such thing as an accidental child God planned you God planned your parents to be your parents it was his grand design because he knew the DNA that would be needed to make you you and God was more interested in making you than how well your parents parented you and so we know, we know what? We know that God causes. Now the next phrase is the key to this passage. Will you circle? We know that God causes everything to work together for good. And notice that that verse doesn't say that everything is good. It's not. What happened in Orlando was not good. There are many things that are not good in this world. There are many things that are evil and are just outright wrong. Terrorism is wrong. Rape is wrong. Cancer is wrong. Death itself is wrong. God never intended it, okay? But it says God causes all things to work together for good. Now, this promise that God has given isn't for everyone. It is only for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. 
You see, if I'm not living God's way, if I'm, not, if I'm ignoring God's way of living, all things are not going to work together for good. In fact, I would say all things are going to work against you. God doesn't owe you and I anything. But this verse says, if I love God and I really want to serve his purposes, God says, here's what I'll do. I'll bring good out of bad and I will fit it all in together with my purpose. Now, what is required for that to happen when you are in a long tunnel of chaos and you haven't seen light at the end of it yet? Take a look at Romans chapter 5, verse 34. It says, we know that these troubles produce patience. Will you circle that word? And patience produces character. You see, everything that happens in your life if you will give them to God and if you will be patient, he will bring good out of it. But you've got to be patient and let it work together. Things that happen in your life by themselves individually can be bad. No ifs, ands, buts about it. But when you let God work them together, God can bring good out of it. But what's required is patience. I thought we'd have a little fun today. I want to illustrate this. By the making of chocolate chip cookies. And before I start, I want to invite Vanna White, my wife up here, to help me. So Vanna, will you please come up here? Okay. Let me put on my Hawaiian apron. Can, can you please tie that, Vanna? There we go. It's not long enough. I'm too big to tie it in front. But I have lost 26 pounds, so I'm doing good. Now, I could never be a chef, okay, because I am impatient, okay? I want to eat it now, for instance, okay? I mean, what would butter tastes like slimy oily not good how about some sugar I like that brown sugar mm-hmm that's good egg I'm not even going to go there. <laughs> Some vanilla extract. Smells good, but doesn't taste good, I'll tell you that. You see, I couldn't be a cook because I'm impatient. It takes time. You've got to put these ingredients in there. Am I doing well, Vanna? Okay. I'm going to put them in there. Got to put in an egg. And you got to mix it. You got to work it together. You see, those ingredients by themselves, some may be good, some may be bad, some may be just outright ugly. But you got to work them together. Wow. 
I think I am doing pretty good with that. Then, after you have the dry ingredients, you must then put in some others. This is, I think, baking powder or baking soda. Baking soda? Thank you, Dana. Oh, mercy alive. Salt. Too salty. Flour. Too pasty. Dana told me to mix it. Too messy. Okay, you just mix that together. Wow, look at this. You see, you mix it together, and out comes the dough, but you got to have the most important thing, chocolate chips. Now, these are semi-chocolate, so semi-sweet, so they're pretty good. You work that in. Have you ever, when you were growing up, came up to maybe mom, dad, the chef, and just asked for a little piece of the, the dough? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm That is good. This is what comes out after you've, can you see that? This is what comes out after you have patience to mix in the ingredients. Folks, that's what God wants to do in your life. He wants to take the good, the bad, the ugly. He wants to take, take the salty things, the bitter things, the dry things the things you won't even want to put in your mouth. He wants to work it together and he wants to produce a cookie in your life. And that cookie is God's character. And it is good. And when people see it, when people see that you've taken the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you've allowed God to work it together, they see a cookie in your life that attracts them to Jesus. And that is my prayer for Orlando and our nation. That we, his people, would allow whatever God chooses to come into our life, though by themselves they are yucky, together they produce Christ's likeness in our life that can produce peace beyond our understanding. So, let's give it up for Vanna right here. Oh, please. Thank you. Well, let's take a look at some people's lives whom we've been following over these last five weeks or so and what God has produced in their life as a result of them going through their tunnel of chaos. Take a look at this. Becoming a, an independent single mom was difficult, but at the same time, my relationship with the Lord was, um, was 
was just getting better and better and deeper and deeper. There's something that just took me to God after feeling like I lost so much that I knew that He was really the only thing that I could count on. I learned that God is a God of great love and care, and He wants the best for His children, and I'm a child of His. And I learned that He is a great provider physically, emotionally. Uh, I learned that um, He's majestic, that He's truly my Creator. And whatever His purposes are for me, He will make it known. I have become even closer to the Lord through this whole process. I just feel like I've, I've grown in my walk and that God fulfills his promises. I feel like I've changed and grown a lot in the fact that I'm more transparent with the fact that I'm just like everybody else and, and deal with the same kind of struggles that they do. But, you know, if you hang on to your faith, you can make it through. What I've learned through this process is that God is always with us. He's there 24-7. I learned to talk to him about decisions through a Bible study I'm in, I'm learning how to discern the voice of God and to know when He is speaking to me, to know when I'm going in the right direction and to know when I'm going in the wrong direction. You see, as you go through a tunnel, God wants to produce different things. And obviously, He was doing it in their lives. He wants to do it in your life. I want you to write down this first. I've added this to the outline. Romans 8, 17. And if you can read it out of the message, this would really be great. It says this, we go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. Now I want you to think about that. When Jesus was on this earth, did he go through times of loneliness? Sure he did. Did he go through times that he was tired and frustrated? Did he have people who hated him and mistreated him? Mm-hmm, yeah. Did he lose friends? He most certainly did. And if his heavenly father didn't spare his own son of those things as he was going through those tunnel of chaos, why would you think that he would do something different with us? He won't. The question is this, how do you and I get through it? How do you get through a tunnel of chaos? How do, you, how do you do what needs to be done in order to allow God to forge his character into your life, which is his number one purpose after you come to know him? Three things very quickly. Number one, remember that God's plan is good. God is a good God and he is good all the time. When Jeremiah was going through his tunnel of chaos, he told Jeremiah, for I know the plans that I have for you, they're good to give you a future and a hope. Joseph, though he had 11 brothers who were jealous of him, and although they sold him into slavery, and while in Egypt he ended up in Potiphar's house and falsely accused of rape, ending, ending himself up in prison as a result. For the first 40 years of his life, that's what it was like. But at the end of his story, he confronts his brothers and he tells them in Genesis 50, 20, you intended it to harm me, but God intended it for good. This is a theme 
in God's word. God has a good plan for you. And so you remember that plan. And you don't focus on the problem, but rather you focus on God's plan. And the secret to pain management, when you are in a tunnel of chaos, as God is forging your character, is simply this. Will you write this down? Pain is temporary, but rewards are eternal. You see, Jesus was able to endure the cross because he looked forward to the reward which was in heaven. And that was going to be you and I eventually. And so what you do is you substitute short-term thinking for long-term thinking. Paul said it like this in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Our present troubles are quite small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us an immeasurably great glory that will last forever. And so you remember God's plans are good. Secondly, if you're going to allow God forge character in your life in this fifth stage is that you rejoice and you give thanks. Now listen very carefully and don't misunderstand what I'm about to read here. In 1 Thessalonians 5:18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice that it doesn't say give thanks for all things. No, it says give thanks in all things. When my dad died of his valve exploding in his heart about 10 years ago, folks, I did not give thanks for that. And I would have you know that God would never expect you to be grateful for the brokenness that is in our world, for the evil and the pain that exists on this side of eternity. We don't give thanks for, we give thanks in. And why do we give thanks in? It's because of what we know. We know that God sees it. We know that God loves us. We know that God cares. We know that God has the power to change it. And we know that God can use it for good if we give it to him. That is why in Philippians 4.4, Paul said this, rejoice in the Lord. I don't rejoice in the evil, broken circumstances, but rather I rejoice in God because that is what I know. And then finally, I refuse to give up. James 1, 3 and 4. Let the process go on until your endurance is fully developed. And you will find that you have become men of mature character with no weak spots. I've discovered this, that when I go through a problem, I've got one of two choices. One is I can pray, Lord, make this easy and I can't tell you how many times I've done that. I just drive along, God, I am one of your kids. I do not understand why you don't make it easier for me, okay? I'm trying to reach this world for Jesus. You understand that, okay? Or I can pray, Lord, use this to make me what you want me to be. I can pray, Lord, comfort me. Or I can pray, Lord, conform me in to your image. And when you and I begin to understand that God's number one purpose after we have come to know Jesus is not to make us comfortable, but rather to conform us into 
his image, then all of a sudden, life begins to make more sense. And so the next time you ask yourself, why is this happening to me? Understand this. You will not get a full answer on this side of eternity. You won't get a full answer until you get to heaven, eternity future. And so rather asking God, why is this happening to me? Ask God, what do you want me to learn from this? How do you want me to become more like Christ through these adverse circumstances? God, how can I, in cooperation with your Holy Spirit that is wanting to produce fruit of the Spirit in my life, how can I become, how can I bring good out of bad? And if you do that, God will bless you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and we give thanks because of what we know of you. God, we acknowledge that life is hard, that it's tough, that life comes at us in all kinds of different ways that catch us off guard, that blindside us, and as a result, bring pain and suffering and loss, that bring hurt into our lives. And yet, God, we know that you see these things. And we know that you love us. And we know that you care. And we know that you have the power to change things. And we know we don't guess, we don't think, we don't hope, we don't say it's a possibility. God, we know that you can bring good out of bad as we bring them to you and as we are patient allowing you to work them together for our good and for your glory today I don't know what you're struggling with but but if you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ, I would want you to know that promise out of Romans 8, 28 isn't yours. It's only for those who love God and want to follow his purpose. And today, if you haven't dropped Christ from your head to your heart, where he fills you with his spirit, that you might embody the fruit of the spirit, will you do that today? Will you just say in the quietness of your heart, God, right now, I admit that I have lived my life independent of you. I've known about you. I've had thoughts about you, especially around Christmas and Easter, God. And at times when life gets hard, but I've never, I've never dropped you from my head to my heart. I've never, I've never declared to you, God, I love you. And I want you in the center of my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you resurrected from the grave that to prove that what you said I could take to the bank. God, I believe that today. Thank you for the forgiveness that I have of you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit 
that you have just now deposited in me that's going to begin working in me and begin working through me for good. God, I trust you. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, would you just let me know on your communication card? Just give me your name, maybe an email address, maybe a telephone number if you want me to call you. And write the letter A and circle it stating I've accepted Jesus for the first time. And put it in the offering basket as it goes by. And at the first part of the week, I'll give you a buzz. I'll send you some emails that'll help you understand what you've just done. Well, Lord, we thank you that you are a good God and that you are good all the time. And we thank you that as we walk through life, no matter what comes our way, we have the complete confidence that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you've given us your spirit. And when those dark times of loss and suffering come in our way, may we look within and see what you have deposited there, your Holy Spirit that will lead and guide us to the light of day, seeing you for who you really are. So we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Well, if you're